I want to talk about the idea of being servants of Christ. Um, my own thinking over recent times, I've been reading a, a book that was detailing somewhat the, uh, the trip that religious people made in a particular time where um, there was a lot of death associated with it and a lot of sorrows, and they had a very strong identity as being servants of God, and that was part of what allowed them to keep pushing to achieve their goal. And, uh, you know, I know that, uh, too, I, I guess I have this thing in me where I'm looking at a, our culture, which emphasizes uh, independence and freedom and also, in some levels, selfishness, taking care of yourself and not necessarily looking out for others. But then I, I go into a setting like Malawi where they put 200 kids in a room, 20 by 30, and you virtually have no control issues. And you're going, that's a different setting than what any of us is used to here. But what makes that different? I, you know, I haven't really figured that out per se. Uh, although in that culture, they're very honoring of each other, and they've been taught a form of obedience and service from childhood on. And so, you know, when I'm looking at parenting even now, it's, it's vastly different than even when Sharon and I were raising our kids, but it, there's that knowledge that if you don't train your kids how to serve and participate in the family and cooperate as one of the members, what, what ability will they have when they get older to do the same thing? That you are setting a standard now for their behavior later. And, and so that, those are all part of my thinking when I, when I take this on. Uh, in John chapter 15, there is a verse that says, that Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Now that's strong theology in our settings over the last few years, right? We, I'm a friend of God. We are friends, you know, and, and that is a beautiful understanding. But even within this passage, Jesus is also presenting the thing, if you do what I command, well, that's kind of like you follow my orders, right? And, and so he's not completely separating the two and saying, you throw out this one and you keep this. But he is bringing a portion of this understanding to us when he's saying, I'm going to let you know what I'm doing. That's part of the wonder of being friends. But also in the same, so pre-making this statement, he says, uh, he talks about commands. And then after that, he also said, you did not choose me, choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go bear fruit. So all of those are, I'm telling you what to do, right? I'm, I'm directing, giving you direction. So he, if he's calling us friends, but he's also giving direction, we've got to find a way of working those things together as well, where we carry the identity of a servant of Christ, but also as a friend of Christ. Um, I want to 
go through portions of the Last Supper because that's when this particular teaching came out in John 13. But then later, or you have other passages or things going on as well. Um, during the meal, Jesus gets up and washes the disciples' feet, and it causes quite a commotion, particularly with Peter, right? You shouldn't be doing this. And he says, no, I'm, I'm setting the example for you. I want you to do this for others. Now, it's intriguing to me that sometimes within the Christian setting or context, we get the idea if somebody has really special gifts or abilities or, you know, like speaking or healing or prophecy or, you know, things that kind of stand out as, as setting them apart from the, the group, well, then there's no real need for them to, to get caught up in the menial, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the things that people wrestle with. And yet, this is a passage where the most gifted individual on earth is saying, I'm going to serve you and I want you to serve others as well. So Jesus, he's got all the goods, got all the gifts. And yet he's the one that's saying, even these menial tasks of serving one another, I'm about that as well. So it's really important to grasp this and say, we're not too important to do these other jobs. In fact, uh, you don't get to that platform, so to speak, and say, yeah, I've arrived now. Just, uh, you know, what I do is so timely and important. You just, you know, make sure that I have time to do it, right? It's, it's a thing of, where's your identity? Is it in the power that you hold, or is it in this idea that I am truly a servant of God, one of His? Okay, in that same meal, uh, he makes a statement, let the youngest among you, be, or be, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. I'm among you as one who serves, he says. So they had been arguing even in that meal who was the greatest. This is the last meal that they have together. This is, you know, this is the moment, right? This is the most important last bonding time before he dies that they're going to have, and yet they've already been arguing in the, during the meal, who's, who's the greatest? And so Jesus really sets this in place and just says, this is very important. You carry the identity of a servant with you. Now, in the rest of the New Testament, there is a wrestling out of this theology of servant and free. Paul in Galatians, when he, he draws an Old Testament illustration of Abraham with Hera, Hagar and Sarah, did I get that right? And he says, one was a slave, one was free. The children born of such, one was a slave, one is free. And so he's, he's wrestling with that and he's saying, you are called to freedom. You are called to an inheritance in God. So he says, there's a, a picture here where you truly are different than a, than a slave. But I also want to make note to you that in that very same book, Paul calls himself a servant of Christ. So in the first chapter, the 10th verse, he's making a declaration, I am a servant. So he is not chucking out the whole thing, but he's trying to put it together. He also uses this idea of being a servant in Romans and also in Titus in his introductions. 
So it's commonplace in the New Testament for these people to identify themselves as servants of God, servants of Jesus. In fact, in the other books that you read out of the New Testament, you have James, Peter, Jude, and John all declaring themselves servants of God. Interesting, isn't it? So it's not a theology that we can abandon when we're, while we're caught up in our freedom and in our friendship. And, you know, as wonderful as those things are, we, we need to continue to embrace the idea that we are servants unto God, that He, he is Lord of our, over our lives. He's, he's the ruler of all things, our lives as well. In the New Testament also, you have them using the term deacons for those that were in leadership. So again, they're associating, which deacon is a term that meant waiter or one who runs errands. And so they're, they're taking a normal term from their culture and saying, this is what our leaders need to look like. Later on in the same Timothy, um, Paul talks about people, training people to be good servants of Christ. So it's not just the leaders. He's saying everyone's connected to this. And in, this, uh, in the second book, he also says, you know, in regard to ministry, be a servant of Christ. Or how's it go? No, sir, um, as the Lord's servant, he must not be quarrelsome, but be able to, kind of te- able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness. And he just lays it out and saying, this is the, the temperament that's necessary in leadership. Let's go back to some of the teachings of Jesus, because Jesus wouldn't have used this one illustration and then say, throw out the rest of my teaching, which regards servants. So he uses many parables and other things connected to that, this idea as well. Luke 6, 13, you cannot serve God and money. You have your choice. Who are you going to serve? In the parables, Matthew 18 There's a parable of the unforgiving servant. Remember, a a servant who owes his master way more than he can give back. Comes to him and pleads with him for mercy. The master shows him mercy. And then the next portion of the story, that same guy goes out and throws another person in jail because they can't pay him back for a few pennies. And and the servants get upset and they go to the master and say, what's with this? And again, it's shown that we have been forgiven much. We must be willing to forgive. Another parable of the servants is investing in talents, Matthew 25. Or the servant that's left in charge of a household. So there's a leadership position, but he's still a servant to the master. And he says, if this guy starts mistreating others under him, what's going to happen when the master comes back? It's not good. Uh, Luke has several. It says, um, be ready for the uh, one that has, be ready for the master's return. You know, you, he's going to, it's like he goes on a long journey, but when he comes back, what is he going to find you doing? Uh, Luke 17, this is an interesting one to me. And Jesus says, you know, if a servant works in the field all day and he comes home, is uh, the master going to say, you know, good, sit down, let me serve you. Now, he says, the master is going to say, fix my meal, and then you can get something for yourself as well. And so it's like the master still has the right to say, this is what you do with your time. And so when we're we're walking through this, 
ultimately we're saying, my life is yours. And you have the right to make the decisions regarding my relationships and my time and my money. And, you know, it's, uh, there's, a, a, there's a, a story told where, where Jesus uh, says, you know, he's challenging the disciples and says, no one's above his master. If they treat the master one way, they're going to treat you the same. And he's going, if they call the master Satan, what are they going to do to you? And so he's, he's using this illustration, but he's saying, if I've been called that, what's going to happen for you? This is a relationship breakdown, right? And yet he's saying God has the right to take your life where he will, even relationally. And sometimes that isn't going to be pleasant places. It's, it's critical for our understanding to come to terms with this, to say, in the things that I can't control, in the things that, that I have no ability to change, but I, I would change if I could, I still have belief in the one who has authority over me and who has the direction of my life charted out, and I can trust him. And so you know, those types of situations, it becomes critical to be able to say, I'm your servant. Do with me as you will. Take me where you will. Let this transpire as you will. I'm yours, and I trust you. Um, let's see. I want to go to Matthew 23. Here's where I think this shakes out in some ways. 8 through 11. You're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. You are all brothers, and no man, man your father, or say, call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, Christ. Now, did he get rid of all instructors? Did he get rid of all fathers? Did he get rid of all rabbis? No. So, what does this mean? I think what it's saying is. You don't get caught up in the identity and the power of a leadership position like this. Rather, you choose to identify yourself as a servant. And so even though these positions exist, if you look at the, the listings of spiritual gifts, you'll see teaching in there, right? And you just don't get rid of fathers. That's the end of humanity, right? Yes. Um, so... What, where, where is he taking this? He's saying, you identify yourself as a servant. That's, that's more important than the power that you hold or the authority that you have. You still say, I'm under his care. And so it's like when we start the day and we say, let this be a great day in you. And then it, there's that need to take it one step further and say, May I do what you desire throughout this day. Interesting, when Mary was told that she would be the mother of Jesus, she, she's left with some situations that are very complicated, right? There's Joseph that's got to be told and, you know, possible divorce, there's all the family 
shame, potentially. There's the thing of poverty. Who, who knows what, what all the ramifications were. And yet, her response is this. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's a good attitude, right? And that's what we need to embrace for our lives as well. To recognize he does have the right to choose the placement of our lives and the timing of things and the situations that we don't have control over, and yet we can trust that he is leading us in a good path. We're grateful for the friendship. <laughs> We're grateful to know that we are friends with God and to explore that in all its dynamics. But we also cling to the concept that we are servants of God now until the end. Thank you, Lord, for your scripture that speaks life to us. Thank you for this picture that develops how our relationship works with you. And Lord, we would be like Mary and say, let it be. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be as you've said. Amen. It is implied in the concept of servitude that one is, one is greater than the other has the right to speak what the other will do. And so you, you just can't escape that as far as understanding of this term. And so it's important to say, Lord, you are greater than me. And so I am yours. Where we apply that then is say, in my relationships, in the timing of things, in the finances ultimately this is your call so I yield this to you and I say let me make the most of this setting in you that your name would be honored and then as we apply this in our relationships in life um, we look and say at times I need to be willing to serve others I need to be willing to give of my life for their gain and so even crucial, in particular, as I mentioned earlier, with child raising, this is an essential concept that they learn to serve other family members. They learn to serve community. It's just part of what we're designed to, to be and, and who we are in the Lord. And then we say, God, I don't understand all of this but I yield to you and trust you because you are a good master over my life. I want to pray for God's blessing upon you. What remains is open-ended. If you would like prayer, that opportunity is here. But just uh, let's seal some of these things in the Lord and say, are there areas of service that you want me to participate in that I've been pushing off? Or where I've been refusing to yield and trying to force my way. And just let Lord speak to us through that. May your blessing rest on these your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they just 
discover the joy that being your servant is better than anything else. As each one goes into the community, I ask that you give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, O Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen.